are the lights of the world. Let your light shine before the world that they might see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Well, please remain standing as we continue to worship through scripture reading this morning. Our series continues this morning uh, through the book of Genesis called Origins. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 4. Please turn there if you have a Bible. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And it will also be projected on the screen behind me and monitors throughout this room. Well, let's read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of, the fat, of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. We continue to worship through song. morning, church. Would you, uh, in a moment, bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Just as a reminder, uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that whenever, whenever those of us who are part of the preaching team preach, we are participating in something with you. We are receiving a word from the Lord. And so when I pray, I ask that you pray with me because this is part of a dialogue as we hear from God. Uh, from his word. And so even during the sermon, dialogue with me. Smile at me, nod your heads, write things down, say amen occasionally to remind me and to remind you that we are talking and being ministered by the Lord. Uh, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. Lord, may you minister to us. May you speak to us. Help us this morning to uh, to know who and what you've called it, who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do, Lord, as your church. May you minister to us this morning, I pray. Amen. This past Thursday, the world mourned the loss of Vine after its parent company, Twitter, announced the discontinuation of its service. For those who don't know, Vine was a video service that allowed users to share six-second videos which played on a continuous loop. After the announcement, several websites and social media users paid tribute to the service by sharing their favorite vines. I was supposed to be working on a sermon on Thursday when all of this news happened. But vines have a strange power to them. They have this ability to entice you, and before you know it, you've been watching longer than you ever anticipated. Six seconds isn't a long time, but your sense of time disappears when you watch. When you press play on a video loop, it keeps playing. There's a sort of magic to the best of the Vine videos. Some, magics, or some videos are great because they're funny and make you want to watch them over and over again, to keep laughing over and over again. 
other videos have a kind of hypnotic effect where they play, but you don't really know when it ends and when it begins again. It might be a minute or two before you realize the six-second video has started, ended, and restarted several times over. So there I was, when I was supposed to be working on a sermon, playing Vine videos over and over again. And then I realized something. If you're on Twitter and you press play on one video, it doesn't stop playing. It took me several times to realize this, but I would go and scroll down on my Twitter feed and the video was still going on. It's not like Facebook videos, for instance, when you're watching a cooking uh, instructional video and you scroll down the page and the video stops working. Vine videos weren't working this way. It kept on playing over and over again. It took me a little bit to realize it, and it was kind of frustrating because I wanted it to stop. I had other things to do. I wanted to go back to working on my sermon. I wanted to read other stories on my Twitter feed. But the Vine video didn't ask for my permission, nor was it going to stop on its own accord. Our lives are like a Vine video. Since the fall, that tragic moment when Eve pressed play by disobeying God, we have been on a continuous loop of sin. No matter how often we try to move away from sin, the loop won't stop. Eve's disobedience became our disobedience. Her sins became our sins over and over and over again. The loop won't stop playing. Sin continues in your life, it continues in my life, and it continues in the lives of those all around us. And sin doesn't ask for your permission to enter and exit your life. It just just hangs there, interrupting you, distracting you, keeping you from doing the things you ought to be doing. Sin has gone on damaging our interactions with God and our interactions with one another. And the loop won't stop playing. It just keeps going on and on. How do we stop it? How do we put an end to the continuous loop of sin in our lives and in our society? That's the question that will be raised by our scripture passage this morning. The individuals in our story wrestle with this very question throughout all of their lives. Like us, they found themselves trapped in this ongoing cycle of sin. You have to understand, this story is, for the most part, a tragic story. It is an account of the continued unraveling of the good creation that God had made. It doesn't provide us with a positive direction for working our way out of this dilemma. The answer to the question, how can we put a stop to the continuous loop of sin in our lives, is a question that is difficult to answer for the people in this story. So will you turn there with me to Genesis chapter 4? to see how this family attempted to answer this question. Genesis chapter 4. Book of Genesis chapter 4. As I was reading this story, I found myself asking, what do you do after you've been expelled from Eden? How do you pick up the pieces of your life and start anew in a world that is drastically different from the world you had experienced? 
In the space of just a few pages, Adam and Eve have gone from living in a world that is good and blessed to living in a world that is hard and cursed. So you and I know from experience, life in this world is complicated. After leaving the garden, the Bible tells us that Adam knew his wife Eve. She conceived and bore Cain. She had a baby. Like most baby announcements, we should be happy and joyous, shouldn't we? And yet, something strange is happening in this passage. Eve, after all, is the mother of all the living, but her response to this birth is unusual. She names the son Cain, a verbal reflection of what is happening in her heart. Now, most English translations soften the meaning of of Eve's declaration. The ESV reads, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Read this way, it sounds as if she is praising God, a sort of, God has been gracious to me and has granted me a child. But that is not what she says. Not at this point in the story. The words, with the help of the Lord, have been added to our English translations, or at least the, with the help of. We're trying to interpret Eve's words more kindly, but if you remove those words, you might see what Eve actually says. Eve literally says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. It's as if she imagines herself wrestling this child from God. I think Eve names Cain out of defiance. As if to shake her fist at God and say, though you curse my womb, I have acquired a child from your grasp. So we will see Eve's words here are not a declaration of faith in God's promised offspring, but a statement of a woman outside of Eden displacing God from the life of her family. In the very beginning of this story, we are reminded again of what was lost in Eden. Humanity is at odds with God. The intimate connection between God and his creation has been lost. The first family does not deny God's presence in their lives, but we're left to consider whether his presence is a welcome one. But this isn't just a story about Eve. This is a story about life after the garden. A short time later, Eve conceives a second child, Abel. Cain's brother is born. It's as if the story begins to shift focus. Adam and Eve fade into the background and his brother, or Cain and his brother, come into view. Cain was a farmer. His brother Abel was a shepherd. And I begin to wonder whether it was Adam or Eve who first noticed the unique gifts in each boy as they grew and helped them to cultivate these gifts to turn into a a task, a work. I can imagine Cain learning to care for the ground and nurture the crops from his parents. I can see Abel learning to love and protect the sheep by watching his father and mother care for the animals around them. Even after the garden, God is still present in the life of this family. The family continues doing the work of cultivating and ruling God's creation. Cain and Abel know God. They know that it is right to take what they have received from their work and to give to a portion of it to God. And in doing so, they are recognizing that creation belongs to God. It is His. They are His caretakers of His 
created order. So in verse 3, the brothers bring their offerings to God in worship. But their sacrifices aren't the same. Cain takes from his work and gives to the Lord a portion from the fruit of the ground. Abel also takes from his work and gives to the Lord a portion from the flock of the sheep. But there is a difference between the two that is far more important than type. Abel brings his very best. He chooses the first lambs that are born from his flock and offers God the fattest portions. Cain takes from his produce indiscriminately. He inspects nothing. He just pulls from his crops without any criteria for what would be fitting to God. In Cain's eyes, a crop is a crop. What difference does it make whether God receives the first or the last of the produce? Turns out it matters a great deal. In the eyes of God, it isn't enough that we come to his place of worship. He expects, he deserves to be honored as God. It's not enough to call him God. We have to honor him as Lord. To honor him as Lord is to say that he is not an add-on to our life. He is not an accessory to add on on some occasions and take off on others. The Lord is not a servant of ours. We are a servant of his. To give the Lord our first fruits is to acknowledge that he is first in our lives. And God will not accept any secondary status. When Abel offered his gift to the Lord, it was accepted with delight. Abel brought his offering to the altar and God received it with joy as an honorable sacrifice. But when Cain offered his gift, the Lord rejected it. Cain placed it before the altar and God would not receive it. How would you have responded? How would you have taken God's rejection? Cain saw that Abel's offering was accepted and his was rejected. He became angry and depressed. But the Lord says to him, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do, what is, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to devour you. You must rule over that moment in the garden when Eve and her husband disobeyed God, that changed everything. There is now a certainty that will not go away. There is an adversary set against humanity. Sin is waiting, eager to jump on you. The loop has started to play. And it won't stop on its own volition. It has to be stopped. But if you're feeling optimistic about the answer to our question, how can we put an end to the continuous loop of sin on our lives, you won't be optimistic for long. God warns Cain that the rule of life is that sin wants to ruin you. And he points to a way forward. You must master it. You must rule over it. But knowing what we must do and actually doing it are two very different things. Cain heard God's word. But he did not listen. His anger and depression did not disappear. Instead of responding, Cain has no words for God. He does, however, have something to say to Abel. Sometime later, the passage tells us that 
he went out into the field to have some words with his brother. But he doesn't meet Abel out in the open. He waits out of sight until he sees Abel coming, leading his flock. And like the anger that welled up in his heart, Cain rose up and killed Cain. He killed, or Cain killed his little brother Abel. There is blood on the ground. There is blood on his hands. And Cain walks away from his dead brother's body as if nothing has taken place. That was the first time the blood of another image-bearing man was spilled. Today we hear the numbers reported in the media, eight killed, 36 wounded. Five killed, 40 wounded. Ten killed, 55 wounded. But this was the first time. This was before God's image bearers had grown callous to the unending violence we inflict on one another. This was the first time. But Cain is just as callous as we are. Like he had done before in the garden, God appears before the sinner and asks the question, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Did Cain know the audacity of his words? We know that he was lying. He knew exactly where Abel was. Abel was dead, murdered by his very own hands. But the second statement is an offense to God. Cain answers God with a question of his own, as if he could stand toe-to-toe with God and interject his own question. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be his guardian? Was he entrusted to my care? I am a farmer. I am not a babysitter. This lying murderer presumes to stand before God and utter such words of disdain. Would you have said anything different? Would you have confessed your sins before God? Or would we be just as stubborn as Cain was and keep denying our wrongdoing? What have you done, Cain? What have you done? You knew that sin was waiting for an opportunity. You knew what you had to do to be accepted, but you couldn't do it. Verse 10 says, The Lord said to Cain, The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What have you done? You didn't want to confess your sin, but now his blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand previous chapter of Genesis, it was the serpent and the ground that was cursed because of the woman's disobedience. But now it is Cain himself who is cursed. The ground speaks against him. It testifies to his cruel act. And the farmer will no longer be able to farm the land, nor will he be able to dwell in the land of peace. He must be on the run, moving from place to place as a wanderer. His entire life is taken from him because he took the life of his brother. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. You must rule 
the punishment is quite merciful. Cain should have been swallowed up by the earth. God was well within his righteous rule to demand restitution for Abel's life. Your life for your brother's life. But he does not. So why did Cain respond the way that he did to the punishment? Probably because he responded in the way that we would respond. That's too much, God. Your punishment is beyond what I can handle. You are sending me away from the ground and are sending me away from the place where your presence is and from your protection. When I leave from here, somebody is going to find me and kill me. Don't take away my life. The man who killed his own brother is anxious to ensure that his life is protected. Cain has seen the loop. He worries it will consume him. But God is even more merciful. Verse 15, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord placed a mark of protection on Cain. Cain went away from the presence of God, but God continues to protect him from the harm he deserved. Cain wandered until he settled in the land of Nod, a land wandering, a fitting place for a fugitive of the earth. At the end of verse 16, there is a geographical note that should break our hearts. Cain settled east of Eden. As we move further from the chapters of 1 and 2, the memory of Eden continues to fade. The people find themselves further and further from the blessed place where, where God dwelled with his people. Life moves on for Cain. Like his parents before him, Cain leaves the land where God dwells and has children. Verses 17 through 22 count seven generations in the family of Cain. And upon the first reading, it might appear that Cain's descendants are quite successful. They build cities and introduce cultural advances in the arts, agriculture, and metalwork. One might be tempted to say that we see evidence of human flourishing here. But before we forget that the continuous continuous loop of sin has not been stopped, the end of this genealogy reminds us that the cycle has not ended. In all of their supposed flourishing, there is no mention of God. God does not dwell among these people. They build their cities and forge their metals, but their homes are without rest and their work is not blessed. The story of Lamech makes this clear. Unlike those who came before him, and unlike the pattern established by creation, Lamech takes two wives. The blessing of love and intimacy between a man and his wife is substituted for polygamy. But that is not all that marks Lamech as evidence for a decaying situation. In verse 23, he proudly gathers his family to himself and proclaims, I have killed a man for striking me. Adam and Eve tried to hide from their sin. Cain tried to cover up his sin by denying he knew where Abel was. But Lamech, Lamech has no shame and makes a song out of his sin. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Just a few generations, 
sin has corrupted God's design and, and humanity has been mastered by sin. The loop is not only continuous, it is a downward spiral. How can we stop the continuous loop of sin? We can't. You and I are powerless to do it. Eve tried pitting herself against God. Cain was warned that sin would come and try to corrupt his life, but he was helpless to master his situation. And his descendants proved that despite appearances, without God, the human experience has been corrupted. We, like Cain, are cursed to wander throughout life far from peace and rest in Eden. Like Lamech, we are wicked and prideful, quick to to distort God's pattern for our lives. Despite our best efforts, apart from God, you and I don't actually have the resources to stop the loop of sin in our lives and in the lives of society, or in society, rather. You see, this story is, for the most part, a tragedy. It is a devastating reminder of the mess we make of our lives. But Cain's genealogy isn't the end of this chapter. After following Cain and his descendants, the camera turns back to Adam and Eve. Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. This time, she blesses God. For God has appointed for me an offspring in place of Abel whom Cain killed. This time, Eve does not pit herself against God. She acknowledges that he is the one who provides the offspring. That offspring promised in chapter 3, the one who would put an end to the endless loop of sin. God has provided him. With this child, Eve finally answers our question, how can we put an end to the continuous sin in our lives? We can't, she realizes. But God can God says, I will do it myself. I will provide the offspring who will put an end to the loop. I will provide an offspring who will stand in our place to restore what sin has destroyed. I will provide the offspring who will save my people from the destructive patterns of sin and death. The child Seth is just a foreshadowing of our Savior. The offspring who was set in Mary's womb, the one in whom God was well pleased, the one who was killed though he was innocent of any wrongdoing. Jesus was our offspring who stood not only in the place of Abel, but stood also in our place. We were far from God, and we were east of Eden. God gave his son so that we might find a way back to God's presence. Listen, fellow wanderer. If you want to find your way back to God, let Jesus show you the way. Apart from God's work in our lives, we do not have the strength or the resolve to put, to stop, a stop to the endless loop of sin. But God is good and powerful. And by his strength, you and I can find rest and blessing. If our story ended before verse 25, we might feel helpless. There is a certain depression that might take hold of us when we recognize that sin twists apart our lives. And we are not naive. We have all experienced the effect of sin. 
Whether someone has sinned against you and brought you harm or you have sinned against someone else and brought them hard, every one of us knows the deep imprint that sin has left on our lives. The church, you and I have been rescued from the curse of sin and the paralyzing effect sin has on us. Since we have been redeemed, we have hope. Not in ourselves, but in our Redeemer. Because of our Redeemer, we can experience restoration from sin. God will cast his eyes upon you and me. And will see his bride, holy and beloved. Whenever you and I sin, don't let the shame of sin keep you from fellowship with God and with fellowship from his peop- with his people. Come, confess and repent of your sins so that you may be lifted by the prayers of his people and be accepted as a man or woman who is being transformed by the power of God. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Before Christ, you and I would have been just like Cain, powerless to defend against the enemy's attack in our own sinful cravings. But now we who were once powerless have been made children of righteousness and have been given the Holy Spirit as a guide and helper to become faithful image bearers like Christ. Child of God, walk in the Spirit that is in you. You are no longer like Cain. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. By the strength provided by our almighty God, stand firm against sin. Jesus' victory over sin has only just begun. Sin is trying to invade into our lives or invade our lives. It is still set against us to lure us into broken fellowship with God, into broken relationships with one another. And if we do not stand firm, sin will rule in our lives. Let me plead with you, brother and sister in Christ, do not let sin rule in your life. What sin is trying to take hold of you? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it self-centeredness? Pray to God for strength. Look to your brothers and sisters here in the church for help. You know, I wonder if some of our struggles are because we have become isolated from the body of Christ. God has purchased us with his blood. He has provided his Holy Spirit and has set us in his church to love and minister to one another. We rooted in the life of this church. Are you reaching out Are you reaching out to uplift others in prayer and asking for others to pray and hold you accountable to life in God? I've got a lot of members in small groups, but sometimes I find myself wondering whether we are really committed to one another in this church. May I never become content with merely seeing my brothers and sisters as casual friends but may I commit myself to walking with my brothers and sisters in a way that is lifting me to be more like Christ. You rooted in transforming relationships in the body of Christ. Or are you simply here? Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. Master it. Rule over it with the resources God has given to you. 
Pastor Kerry reminded us a couple of weeks ago that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are an origin story for humanity. And in verses 17 through 22, we see that humanity is capable of cultivating the earth with our skills and talents. And that is a part of our function as image bearers of God. That is why Christians and non-Christians alike can contribute to the welfare of society. The problem of verses 17 through 22 isn't that they build a city. The problem is that God has been removed from the center of the city. What would it look like? for our church to encourage and participate in, in seeing this city flourish, seeing our community flourish as we testify to the truth that our community will flourish by looking to God for rest and peace. What would it look like for our church to use our skills as artists, as builders, to testify that God is at work here in us to bring about his kingdom? the end of this narrative in verse 26, there is perhaps one of the most helpful statements written after the sin that has taken place in the garden. To Seth also was born a son. He named his, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. God has provided Eve an offspring. The people worship God as a result of God's work. Might that be our response this morning? May we call upon the name of the Lord for help in our lives, in our church, and in our community. Apart from God, we are helpless to stop the reign of sin in our lives. But call upon the Lord, because He will be a good and gracious Savior. How can we put an end to the continuous loop of sin in our lives? Call upon the name of the Lord was able to rescue us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Lord, may, may we walk according to your word. May we walk according to who you've made us to be as redeemed image bearers to reflect your Son who is the image bearer. Help us, Lord, to look more like Christ as we serve one another in our community. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.